0: back to the horrors hi i'm elise i'm shay and here we are back with another film for you yeah and this one's been on our mind for a little while now yes i have heard things about this movie shay has told me things about this movie and i had no idea what it was going to be about going into it other than of course there would be an invisible man because hello we are doing the invisible man today 2020 I was pleasantly surprised. I heard it would be good, but now I know that it was good and entertaining and I really, really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and I think this is our first dip into the universal monster universe. The Invisible Man is among the Draculas, the Frankensteins, Mm. the Creature from the Black Lagoon, the Wolfman type of monster movie characters because the original movie actually came out in 1933 so black and white, very different premise, and it's based off a book by H.G. Wells from the 1800s.
0: I know that's a classic. I have yet to read it. Me either. But I am definitely curious now, having seen this movie. So maybe I'll squeeze that in. Maybe that'll be my, one of my last summer reads.
1: She's back on trying to make this podcast about, <laughs> 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 about no, no, I'm kidding. No, no. Okay, that kidding. ship has
0: sailed. <laughs> <laughs> that ship has gone away forever.
1: <laughs> okay. But yes, this movie is definitely a revision from the monster or the entity of the one from 1933. This movie takes on a much more on-the-nose approach to domestic violence and abuse and healing from abuse, things of that nature where the guy in the 1933 one is more like a Frankenstein mad scientist type where he just wanted to be invisible so he could go do nefarious things. But Adrian, who is our invisible man in this movie is definitely more focused in his pursuits of being invisible.
0: Oh, yes. And still, I guess, has that mad scientist effect. But this time he's more of a technological advanced 2020 mad scientist so that's interesting that that's kind of carried over
1: i feel like tech startup bros are the <laughs> mad scientists <laughs> of the 2020s so I, it's probably still in yeah. line but just some pre-plot trivia for you this was written and directed by lee winnell who is huge in the horror community he is responsible for writing saws one through three He is in the first Saw movie. He acts in the first Saw movie as well. And he is also behind the Insidious franchise. So all those movies, he is the mind behind them. He works with James Wan a lot. He did a lot of research in preparation for his take on this remake. He actually went and interviewed two domestic violence counselors and a lot of the women in his life to just really try to see, being that this story is told from a women's perspective, which is different from the 1933 version, he wanted it to feel authentic. And he also held multiple three to four hour script editing sessions alongside Elizabeth Moss Oh wow! to ensure the script was genuine in its depiction of domestic violence from a woman's perspective. And something that is also a little different about the depiction of domestic violence in this movie is that he really strayed away from showing physical abuse on screen. He really strayed away from that because he thought it was kind of done already in TV and movies. And he really wanted to explore what emotional abuse and manipulation looks like, Mm. which I definitely think we get a much more intentional look into what that looks like in the aftermath of leaving an abusive situation. And that's kind of how we start this movie.
0: Yeah. So we start with our opening scene. I love when movies do this where like the credits blend in with the opening scene This happens here, but once the credits dissipate, we are left with a very dark opening scene. We see an ocean crashing against a rocky cliff face. And shortly we pan up. We are inside of a house. We see a sleeping Cecilia. The clock reads 3.42 a.m. So we are in the wee hours of the morning. Cecilia wakes up, or maybe she had always been awake, but she opens her eyes. She slowly removes her partner's hand from around her waist, which we learn later to be Adrian, and she sneaks out of bed. She slowly lifts up the mattress and finds a bottle of a diazepam prescription. She quietly calls Adrian's name to see if he's awake. He does not answer. So she continues through with what at this point seems like a planned something. Okay, we're still seeing it unfold. But she takes the meds and dissolves them into a glass of water. And what does she do? Leave it at his bedside for him to drink?
1: I think she was checking to make sure that it had dissolved and that she had drugged him already. Oh, shit. Okay, that makes so much more sense. Okay, because then she does pour out the glass. Mm-hmm. Because she shakes it and it goes from clear to opaque. So I think that she was seeing that there was enough concentrated in there to where it was enough to knock him out. Okay, perfect.
0: So after she empties that tester glass, she goes to the closet, which, by the way, this house is insane. I mean, first of all, yes, it's on a cliff face, but it is like a modern marvel. This closet is bigger than my living room. Like it is so, it's amazing. So she goes, she grabs a packed bag, she adjusts the bedroom camera so that it faces just the bed where Adrian is sleeping and away from the door. And then from there, she goes downstairs into a
1: sort of tech basement. I said she enters Dexter's lab because, <laughs> <laughs> because literally, like it is decked out with like all of this modern technology and these arms, and it's yeah. just like it literally is like an underground Batman lair lab. Yes,
0: okay, perfect. Dexter's laboratory. Didi. <laughs> So she's in the tech room and we see her log into the computer. She disables all cameras except for the one still focusing on a sleeping Adrian. And she also disables the alarm. As she moves through the kitchen, the movie at this point has been so quiet, so quiet, so quiet. She kicks a metal dog bowl and it is so loud. That's probably the biggest jump scare for me. Well, one of two. But Adrian still appears to be sleeping. She checks her phone to make sure that he is, and he is. So she changes out of her nightgown and heads for the garage. But Zeus... The doggy comes to say goodbye. She stops, turns around, takes off his electric doggy collar. But after this happened and Zeus kind of shakes free of the rest of the collar, he booty bumps Adrian's really expensive car and sets off the car alarm. So this isn't like kicking a bowl by accident. This is a car alarm and it's going to keep going off and it's so loud. So she bolts for it. She makes it over this huge wall that surrounds the property. And as she's making it over the top, we see the bedroom lights flick on. So Adrian is awake. Meanwhile, Cecilia makes it to the road and she's waiting for someone named Emily. She's not there yet. Tension is increasing. But finally, Emily drives down the road. She gets in the car. Emily starts asking questions cecilia's like i'll tell you about it later and next thing you know adrian runs up to the car from the blackness he smashes the car window with his fist grabs cecilia tries to get her out but emily succeeds in driving away with cecilia in the car and they're out of there
1: this opening sequence is so fucking good (laughs) it's really good And part of the reason I love it so much is it's all show don't tell because we don't need it spelled out that she's afraid of Adrian because you can tell just by the way that she slips out of bed and even when she says his name trying to wake him up like her voice she's terrified you could tell that she's had this plan enacted if you look in her bag when she's stuffing it's full of her social security card and her passport Mm -hmm. it's like things that you put in a go bag. It's also very interesting that her sister doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't even know why she's there because she's like, what is this about? Like, why did you call me? So you can tell that Cecilia was feeling a level of desperation, but she's been feeling this level of desperation completely on her own because not even her sister who, you know, they don't have the closest of relationships, but you would assume that your sister would know about your relationship. She has no idea what's going on. So it's just a really great sequence that lets us figure out Okay, she's getting out of an abusive situation. And that's just confirmed when Adrian punches through the window. But as Emily and Cecilia drive away, in the scuffle, Cecilia had dropped her bottle of diazepam on the street. And Adrian picks it up and looks at it and looks onward. And as his hands bleeding, he's gripping this thing really tight. And then we cut to two weeks later... Cecilia is seen looking out these double glass doors and her friend James checks in on her. And you could tell that she's looking very fearful, very nervous. James is like, he's not out there, I promise. But I promised your sister that you would get out of this house today. So how about you go get the mail and come back? And it seems almost trivial and silly, but you can tell that Cecilia has been in this position of paralysis probably mm. for so long. And she is so terrified of Adrian coming to find her that she can't even let herself step outside. She does go to the mailbox and makes it there, but then sees a hooded figure running toward her Turns out to just be a runner on the street, but she ends up running back in and breathing really heavy, but James confirms it's the furthest she's gone in two weeks, so he's really proud of her. And yeah, that paranoia is still sowed because while James is painting his house, Cecilia is looking at webcam spying articles yes. on her laptop <laughs> and decides to take some nail polish and paint over her webcam so that she can't be hacked and spied on. So we're seeing this level of paranoia, but- we don't know what the extent of her relationship with Adrian is like. So, of course, we don't want to assign anything like, is she blowing this out of proportion? Is she really that scared? Or how bad actually was it? Oh, in case we didn't mention, Cecilia is played by Elizabeth Moss, and she does really fucking well in this yes. movie. Obviously, you know her from The Handmaid's Tale. She was in Us. What was her name? Kitty in Us? Yes, yeah, Kitty. And then <laughs> she's in a bunch of other things, but she does so fucking good in this.
0: Mm-hmm. So there is a knock at the door while James is painting and Cecilia is researching about web cameras. And James gets it. And it's Cecilia's sister, Emily. And immediately, Cecilia is upset. She's like, what are you doing here? Adrian could follow you. He knows you're my sister. He could keep an eye on you, whatever. But she's like, I'm here to tell you something about Adrian not being a threat anymore. It's okay. Okay. Look at this. And there's a news article that the tech mogul, Adrian Griffin, is dead by apparent suicide. But Celia does not seem relieved by this. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. But she ends up maybe a couple hours or so later, sitting down with James and Emily, and she kind of opens up a little bit about some of what she endured She never goes into a lot of detail, but we get the sense that it definitely was physical and emotional abuse. And because of his experience in the technological world, he was able to always keep an eye on her. Like We get the sense that Adrian always knew what was going on. He always knew where she was. He knew what she was going to be doing. And so that added layer I think explains a lot of the reason why she wasn't telling people what was going on because what if he was recording her or I don't know he just gives off this vibe that he always knows what's going on and it's giving it's kind of like very like mafia
1: well you know what it kind of reminded me of is like you were mentioning his super modern house on this (laughs) cliff and it's like, replace that house with Dracula's castle. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The, the crashing yes. waves and the menacing cliffside. And it's like, oh, fuck, this yes. is this is what a bad guy looks like now. He lives in this sleek, modern house where there's all these security systems and all these cameras and everything's neutral and monotone. And it's just like, this is Dracula's castle is this like fortress on the cliff. But yeah, some of the examples that Celia talks about. Adrian controlled what she wore, what she eat. She even said he would anticipate what she was thinking and yell at her for that. But the last straw for her and one of the reasons that she called Emily was Adrian found out that Cecilia was taking birth control without him knowing. And once he found out and was very upset about that because he wants a baby, she needed out. And that's what prompted her escape.
0: So later, Cecilia steps outside, she appears a little bit more at ease, and she goes to get the mail. And she comes back in, presents it to James and his daughter, Sydney. And Sydney is played by Storm Reed. and I know her from Euphoria. She plays Rue's little sister, but she's also in Suicide Squad, A Wrinkle in Time, and 12 Years a Slave. So she is a great character, definitely a more minor character, but she has a lot of really great moments that we'll get to. Right when she's inside, James starts going through the mail and he has something for Cecilia, which immediately is a little bit alarming because she says, no one should know I'm here. And it's clearly something involving Adrian based on her facial expression when she opens the letter. Next scene, we have Cecilia and her sister Emily meeting in a big office downtown with Adrian's brother Tom. He is there trying to read a statement that Adrian prepared for Cecilia, but Emily is like, no way, thanks. You don't need to be reading this right now. Is Emily a lawyer?
1: I don't think Emily's a lawyer. I think Emily just came for emotional support. But I think she just recognizes that the letter is like the most gaslighty piece of shit. Where Adrian is pretty much saying, I thought what we had was strong enough to weather these storms. But it's (laughs) obvious that based on your reaction that I didn't mean anything to you. And (laughs) Emily's like, shut this shit down. Yeah. Like, email us this and we'll read it together. Whatever the fuck. And it comes out that Adrian has left
0: Cecilia five million dollars. She'll get a check for a hundred thousand dollars every month for however many years.
1: She feels very shell-shocked about this. Obviously, like she's not gleeful, but Tom is very accusatory of Cecilia being like, Oh yeah, you only wanted my brother for what every other woman only wants him for is money. So Tom's a bit of a prick. Yeah. He's not very likable. He's like, oh, he's like a little weasel. He is a weasel. But later, I really love this scene. I thought it was such cute acting. Mm-hmm. Cecilia gifts James and Sydney a new ladder because <laughs> I guess James's ladder was broken from his painting experience. And then she has Sydney climb the ladder up to like this ledge close to the ceiling. And she gifts Sydney a college fund for her to go to fashion school. And it's a very cute moment where she's just like, you know, I kind of don't even really want any part of this, but you guys have been so good to me. You've helped me out so much. I'm, you know, I want you to be part of this next step in my life. And it's very sweet. And you could tell that she's kind of establishing this newfound found family. It's just a very joyous occasion.
0: But in this moment, did you notice the POV
1: shot? oh from like the door frame yes yeah. there's a very like unsettling
0: pov shot yes from the door frame as if somebody else is watching it takes us out of the room obviously we are no longer in there with them in this more personal feeling it's it feels very voyeuristic
1: and i would say like this scene and then the one that following really starts with the clever camera work that makes us start looking for shit in the background, makes Mm -hmm. us kind of start being like, is there something else in this room that we should be looking at? Because we cut to Cecilia's room. She's hanging up some dresses. I wrote, she walks into an empty shot. The camera is not focused on Cecilia. It's focused on this like weird closet corner of the room and you can barely see Cecilia just out of frame putting things on hangers. And it's like, why aren't we looking at her? What are we supposed to be looking at? Then we see the camera like start to follow her as if we're supposed to be like looking for something with her and she feels something behind her, but then she just starts to shake it off.
0: There is also, and I only know this because I watch this film with subtitles. If I watched it at the volume I watched it at without subtitles, I wouldn't have known. Apparently there was a soft clicking noise, mm-hmm. like a barely perceptible noise that I think also maybe like alerted her to look around. And that comes up a couple more times when we are supposed to, I guess, be prepared to know that an inv- invisible man might
1: be there. It's kind of like the duck buzzing. Yes. It's very much like that, yes. where it's like, all right. But they do it so skillfully where you just barely start to hear it. And then mm-hmm. once it goes away, you're like, oh, wait, yes, there was noise. That's ah! creepy. So that's about it. Then the
0: next morning, Cecilia is making breakfast. She's in good spirits. James leaves for work. And as he exits, he asks Cecilia, please wake up Sydney, you know, so she can do what she needs to do, give her some motivation. So Cecilia's like, sure, no problem. She leaves her breakfast on the stovetop under low heat. And this is another one of those moments that she was talking about. She leaves the frame, but we stay looking at the kitchen. And all of a sudden, we see the heat on the gas stove turn all the way up. And the fire under the breakfast pan is really high heat. So while she's out of the frame,
1: the stuff in the pan is heating up, heating up. And it catches on fire you see the knife also got taken off the counter? Wait, oh my god, no! That happens first. Before the heat (gasps) goes up, she's chopping vegetables with a knife, and you just see the knife get, like, taken off the counter and, like, down.
0: Okay, that explains then, Mm -hmm. because she finds that knife later. Okay, wow, okay. I thought- That happens right before. I was like, did he bring his own knife? That's so strange. B Y O (laughs) K okay so then of course cecilia is about to put out the fire with water which isn't good right because she was cooking with oil but sydney comes in and puts it out with a fire extinguisher
1: so now it's nighttime cecilia is on her laptop we get another shot of she's being looked at through a door frame as if someone is positioned just outside the door and looking in on her She calls for James to see if perhaps he got home from work. James is also a police officer. We didn't mention that earlier, but it becomes important later. So she goes investigating this dark house. She's going from room to room and turning lights on and trying to find things. The camera is moving around her like she's being circled, like almost like there's something in the middle and there's like a lion circling around her. Like that's how the camera is moving. And then she goes to the kitchen, is looking in the kitchen, and the front door opens behind her. Oh, this is really fucking good. (laughs) She steps outside, and it's cold outside, so you can see her breath. And the camera is positioned looking at the house while she's looking out onto the street. And you see clouds of breath coming (laughs) from right behind her. And it's so subtle, but it's so good. Also a little Easter egg. If you are looking at the house and looking inside the open door, there is like a top hat and a long trench coat hanging on a hook right by the door. And that's like what the Invisible Man from 1933 wore. Oh my god, that's so cool. There's a couple little Easter eggs of like, that's what the actual monster wears or whatever. So that was a nice little thing. And Cecilia steps back inside and locks the door.
0: Mm hmm. That night we see her sleeping and her blanket is slowly pulled off of her. And she's in bed with Sydney. Yes.
1: Did you take that as like they're sharing a room where she was scared so she went and slept with she Sydney? I think she was scared yeah, so she I slept with so Sydney,
0: yeah. Then we see flashes of light as if someone is taking pictures of her and that wakes her up. But I don't think she consciously sees because she's too calm. So she just knows that something has woken her. She wakes up and she is about to fix the blanket and she has a feeling that someone is watching her from the chair. So she takes the sheet and she throws it on top of the chair, but nothing is there. You know, the sheet falls and takes the form of the chair. However, shortly after she does that, she sees footprints on the sheet now and she freaks out. She screams. James comes in the room to try to calm her down. And then that's it. Nothing comes
1: out of that night. He tries to be comforting. He says, Adrian will haunt you if you let him. So don't let him.
0: Which is like, that's nice. But he's actually there. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, that's nice advice. And the other thing is too about James, like James is so strong and like big and he's very level-headed. He's very even. And it sucks because he would be the perfect character in so many situations to bring actual comfort, but he can't touch the situation. He can't do anything to actually make Cecilia feel better because there's like an actual physical threat that he can't see or doesn't believe her exists. Especially at this point, because she's still very much, I think, trying to wrap her mind around like what's happening. But it sucks because like he would be the perfect protector in so many situations, but in this one, he's not.
1: Yeah, no one's really hearing her. So she goes on an interview the next day. You can tell she works in architecture, I think. Yes. Design, something to that degree. She's very nervous. She's on this interview, and the interviewer is like flirty and a little forward. He kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. She talks about how she spent, like, a semester in Paris, and he's like, oh, well, why Paris? It's just because all the beautiful women go there, and it's like, all right, guy. I mean, if she's an architect, I'm
0: assuming that she's very much in a man's field, and she knows that. She's probably used to hearing things like that.
1: She goes to open her padfolio to, like, show her work, and the briefcase is completely empty, and she starts having an anxiety attack. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I just don't feel very well. So she goes to stand up and like kind of walk away from the table, but she collapses. So then later she's at the hospital. She's told she's fine and that they're running blood tests on her behalf. Later at home, she's in the shower. The phone rings. She exits to answer the phone. Again, we get a shot where we're looking at the shower and not looking at her leaving the bathroom. The blood tests are in and the doctor tells her that she had a high amount of diazepam in her system. She's like, that's impossible. Like, I lost that prescription. And then she looks on the bathroom counter and the bottle of diazepam that she dropped on the street is sitting on her bathroom counter with bloody thumbprints on it, which we know are Adrian's because he cut his hand punching through the fucking window. And her hearing,
0: of course after realizing what's going on has started to fade and distort. And we could barely hear the doctor on the phone, try to mention something else, but it's too late conversation over. She is freaked. The next scene, we see her going to Adrian's brother with James. So James is there as backup and she is talking to Tom and I guess James, I guess he wouldn't know the story either about how one time she was sitting with Adrian, just thinking about how she would leave when adrian looked at her and said she could never leave him as if he had read her mind because he would find her without her being able to see him she would never know he was there he would find her and he would follow her and leave a sign Mm -hmm. and she tells tom that this bottle was the sign and that adrian is definitely not dead Also, this is where we get the lingo. Adrian is a world leader in the field of optics. So she says finding a way to be invisible is definitely something he'd figure out a way to do based on the technology he's familiar with and how smart he is. And Tom tries to convince Cecilia that Adrian never invented anything like that. He's just manipulative. The next best thing is convincing Cecilia that he could actually make something like that when he never could just to make sure that she's nice and paranoid. And Tom says that he's glad Adrian is dead. He didn't really like his brother. And he even shows Cecilia pictures of Adrian's body to confirm that he is indeed dead.
1: Yeah, he says, don't let him win by bringing him back to life. And you can tell throughout while Cecilia's being like, he's figured out a way to become invisible. James and Tom are looking at each other like, ooh, (laughs) ooh. it doesn't sound good it does not sound very good and again that's not to minimize her trauma but as far as we know and as far as the world knows this man is dead very dead so it's like oh shit okay cecilia is becoming a little unhinged what's going on so cecilia visits emily being like emily you have to listen to me and emily's pissed she's like oh i got your email earlier Sorry, I didn't want to suffocate you oh by answering. And, you know, <laughs> Cecilia's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I didn't send you an email. And Emily just says, if you're too stupid to know who the good guys are and too weak to get away from the bad ones, don't sob to me for charity. Ugh.
0: That is... That r- line... I would never recover... <laughs>
1: I would never. Come. And Emily shuts the door on her and it's just like, it really kind of shows how, like, first of all, there's perhaps a misunderstanding of the long-term effects of domestic abuse and what it does to your thought process and all those types of things. But it also shows there's kind of a ceiling for being able to handle another person's grief and how much Emily has perhaps tried to love Cecilia through this only to consistently get pushed away by Adrian or pushed out of the way for Adrian. And there's only so much that she can take. So Cecilia later looks at the email in her sent folder showing that it did indeed come from her account. And the camera picks up a couple lines. You are suffocating. I do not want to see you anymore. I don't want to know you anymore. I wish you died. So this greatly upsets Cecilia because she's like, oh my fucking God, he's here. He's ruining my life. He's doing it from beyond the grave. What's going on? So she is just crying on the floor. Yeah, that's a moment right there. When Sydney approaches.
0: Yes, and Sydney comes in. She looks at Cecilia with such love. And, you know, you can tell that she hates to see Cecilia in such pain. And Cecilia sees Sydney and she kind of looks back, like, obviously still very injured. And Sydney's like, you know what we need? We need a girl's night. We need to get dad out of the house and you and I need to eat some cake. (laughs) Which is like... So cute. It's such a cute moment. And Cecilia, you can see that it makes her feel good. And she shifts ever so slightly to stand up. And Sydney kind of puts her head down as like a reaction in the moment. You know, if it's like a really touching moment, maybe eye contact, you don't really hold it the whole time. So as Cecilia moves and Sid puts her head down, all of a sudden she gets slapped in the face probably not even slapped like she gets like yeah she's fucking whacked in the face and immediately she thinks it was cecilia and she screams and it sucks because it's like you just saw sydney being so sweet and then you see her in this pain and confusion and you just saw cecilia coming to sydney and feeling at least a little bit seen and then you see this pain and confusion across her face it's such a quick shift But then, of course, James comes in the room and Cecilia tries to convince him. I didn't do this. I didn't do this. He's like, my first priority is my baby. I got to get her out of here and somewhere safe.
1: I thought it was interesting that like just some of the things that she's saying to defend herself and how it's kind of similar language as to what abusers would say, like, I would never hit you. I love you. Like she's saying she's just like, I would never do that to you. She's saying things that are, in Sydney's view, are probably very gaslighty because oh, yeah. she got rocked in the mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, the audience saw that it was an invisible force and that Cecilia did not do it. But in her eyes, she's like, no, my bleeding from the nose, like, you hit me. Yes. And it's like the language that Cecilia is kind of co-opting to defend herself. It's just like, ah, oh, damn. C is now alone in the house.
0: And I wrote, she has a what are you waiting for moment hashtag, I know what you did last summer, where she talks to Adrian, telling him basically to come and get her, you know, don't hit a little girl, hit me. She starts getting smart. Not that she hasn't always been smart, but she's preparing now. She knows something is very, very wrong. She grabs a knife from the kitchen, walks into her bedroom, and spreads coffee grounds on the floor in front of where she ends up kind of sitting and perching to, we can assume, track steps on the ground if an invisible man tries to get near her. And she continues talking to Adrian, asking why her. She keeps her eyes glued to the doorframe, sensing that he's there watching, right? So interesting that, like, she is confident that she knows where he is, which I think is interesting, She tells him, you know, there's nothing left to take. You've already taken everything. Why are you still here? Then she gets some kind of idea. We're not really sure, but she crawls across the floor around the coffee grounds, grabs the phone and dials a number. And we hear a phone vibrating in the crawl space above her. It rings a couple times. She has a very freaked out look on her face. And then we hear the voicemail start playing that you've reached Adrian's phone, blah, 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 blah. So we know that Adrian's fucking cell phone is in the crawl space above C's room.
1: (laughs) That was well done. Very scary. So she gets a ladder and goes to the hatch attic door where dreams go to die in horror movies. (laughs) She goes up into the attic, she gets a flashlight, she's peering around, calls the phone again from her cell phone, and sees it light up. Goes and finds it sitting next to the kitchen knife that went missing earlier in her portfolio, and then she looks in Adrian's phone and finds the photos of her and Sydney sleeping in bed. She gets a text that just says SURPRISE in all caps, and then she hears noises behind her. So she gets an idea... She goes and like looks down the hatch attic door space. And it's just kind of like looking around, looking around. And this, I jumped at this. Yes, this, 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 this is this, Yeah, this, this is, is the, the one. one. She grabs a can of paint next to her and launches it down. And the paint catches a figure. <sighs> figure. The it, oh my God. It's so fucking good. He's there. We just kind of see like a suit. So it's almost like someone's wearing one of those, like those green suits that people wore. Yeah, a morph suit. Like or a morph suit. It's just kind of like a flat face on the body. She screams, retreats. Adrian runs away. And then Cecilia drops down from the attic, follows the paint drops with the knife. The paint drops end abruptly. She hears some noises in the kitchen and then the water starts running. She walks up to the sink and sees that there is paint in the sink. She turns the water off just in time for her to be lifted by the neck. Choke slammed against the refrigerator, which makes her drop the knife. She is dragged, mounted, punched, thrown across the table, dragged again. She's slamming dishes over his head. And then she finally like gets out of the house. And I made a note here. James's house is fucking trashed at this point between the coffee grounds on the floor, the paint all over, the Mm -hmm. mess in the attic, the running water. I'm like, James is going to come home and be like, this bitch is crazy.
0: But yeah, she does get out of the house and she's running down the street. And we see this through like a surveillance camera shot, which I think is interesting too. Like, is that something that Adrian has set up? So she calls an Uber and gives him an address, which is far away. But as the drive continues, we realize that she has gone all the way back to Adrian's house. And she asks the Uber driver to wait. He's really nice. He's like, sure. And in my head, I'm like, nothing better happened to this Uber driver. (laughs) Anyway, so she gets in the house easily. The front door code appears to be the same. Everything in the house is covered in like sheets or plastic. It's giving a very ghostly abandoned vibe. But shortly after she gets there, Zeus runs up to her.
1: That's what I wrote. I'm like, who's feeding Zeus? So
0: obviously someone is still living there, right? Because Zeus is fine. You know, he seems to be himself. She goes to the basement and she tries to access one of these capsules that looks like it had a suit in it. Like you could tell that there was like some kind of like body armor or suit in there. It looks completely empty. She can't get in, but then she decides to try the date of the day they met and it works. And she's like, how romantic. (laughs) But she gets in and she approaches the empty space and sees a camera next to her coming from the POV of the empty space. So, like, nothing is there, but there's something showing me looking at this thing. She hits some buttons on this, like, iPad camera situation, and then a suit appears.
1: And I'm going to do my best to try to explain (laughs) the science of this suit. (laughs) Because... I don't understand it and it's explained and it's not something that obviously is based in reality. So we have to accept that this is just a little too far into the future. But essentially the buzzing sound or the clicking sound that we hear whenever Adrian or whoever's in the suit is around our cameras because the suit is fashioned with hundreds of tiny little cameras that also have projector screens in front of them. So what happens is they take pictures of their surrounding area and then project whatever is going on around them so that it acts as like a chameleon and it blends in, I think. Yeah, that's the vibe I was getting. But that's how it works. So she discovers this suit just in time for Zeus to bark. So somebody's home. Cecilia steals the suit, hides it in her secret spot in the closet where her go bag was, and then hides in the closet because she can tell that somebody is around. She looks out, sees imprints of feet standing on the carpet, and is assaulted again. They fight for a little bit. She runs away back to the Uber, and on the way back to wherever she's staying, she calls Emily and asks her to meet her somewhere in public. So
0: she gives the name of a restaurant. We see Cecilia sitting alone. We're a little nervous. Maybe Emily's not coming, but she does arrive and sits down across from Cecilia. You know, they kind of have this moment. Cecilia tells her sister, I just need your strength right now. Like, please listen. This is what's going on. And right as she finally starts to open up about what she saw with the suit, a knife floats up from the dinner table and slits Emily's throat And then lands gracefully in Cecilia's hands. And right away, the sound starts distorting and cutting out. Cecilia's face is absolutely shocked and traumatized. People in this very crowded, chic hotspot restaurant are looking, seeing what has happened, and screaming. And the noise starts to come back in as we can see that she's being restrained by police. Like, obviously, she had been frozen there long enough that police have arrived and restrained her. And now we're seeing a medical staff sedating her. Mm -hmm. And then she is left alone in some kind of like hospital facility room, clearly being treated as somebody who is having some sort of psychotic break. And then we just hear Adrian say,
1: surprise. Yeah, There's some good dialogue while she is being sedated. She's being held down and she's like looking at this empty doorway and saying, I see you. He's right there. He's in the room, but you can't see him and he's going to hurt me. And I think the line he's in the room, but you can't see him is very obviously obvious because he's talking about there's an invisible man over there and you can't see him, but I know he's there. But it's also the idea that when somebody is in a relationship with somebody who is abusive, you are the only person to see that side Mm -hmm. of them. Like Mm -hmm. they could act so gregarious and so nice or so different around other people where I'm sure the people in her life were like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. He's this tech mogul. He does this, he does that. But like, he's in the room, but you can't see him. Like I see him.
0: Also, I think she has a line, something like, I didn't do it. He did it. Adrian did it. He did it. Which made me think of the aftermath or like the carnage of what you are left with after experiencing like extreme traumas how much you change as a person, not to say that, you know, people who are abused are always led to murder, but like, how often, you know, have you done something and you thought, am I being myself? Like, what has made me make this decision? And for her, it seems like she's placing blame on something that other people can't see it. It feels like it kind of fits that mold they're putting her in as someone who is not actually experiencing something, but thinking she's experiencing something. The double meaning here, like, you know what she's saying because we've experienced it as the audience, but you also know what it sounds like. It's so frustrating.
1: And you can tell she's at least placing some blame on herself because the next scene we see is her being interrogated by James and another police officer with evidence. The fact that she had diazepam, the email she sent her sister, the video of the restaurant of her holding the knife. Uh And Cecilia says that she has proof, but she can't tell them because Adrian is in the room. But she does end up saying, I brought Adrian into her life. I did that. So she's blaming herself for Emily's death. And then James ends up blaming himself being like, I shouldn't have left you alone. So it's very interesting that in this scene where obviously one person is to blame, everyone is taking a level of accountability that they don't need to be taking. Yeah. Because how could they have known? Like, how could James have known that Cecilia would do this, quote unquote, even though she didn't? And how would Cecilia know that her dating this guy would kill her sister, you Mm -hmm. know?
0: Oh, my God. So the next scene, Cecilia is talking with a doctor at the facility, a different one. And the doctor tells her that she's pregnant. And she says it's recent. It must have been sometime within the last month. So that puts her, I guess, maybe days before she made her escape from Adrian. But this is obviously very shocking to Cecilia because we know that she was on birth control and did not think that this would have been something that could have happened based on the precautions she took. So the next scene, she's escorted into another room where Tom is waiting. And he tells her that since she faced a criminal charge and proved to be mentally incompetent, that the payments from Adrian's trust will stop. And Cecilia is obviously pissed, and she tells Tom, I used to feel sorry for you. You're just the jellyfish version of Adrian, everything but the spine. Burn! <laughs> I love that. I love that insult. I don't know what it is, but I love it. Tom tells her, look, here are some papers. If you sign it and forfeit your stake in the trust, things will go easier for you. Or agree to have the baby and go back to him. So here's Tom making it very obvious that Adrian is indeed alive and he knows it and he probably knows where he is. He says, He needs you because you don't need him. No one has ever left him before. And he tells her that Adrian replaced her birth control pills to make her think that she was taking them when in fact she wasn't. And one phone call Tom can make to Adrian and she can have her life back. But she whips the papers off the table and tells Tom, no and he's like i'll give you 3 days and then she secretly grabs a pen from the meeting table and then that ends that scene
1: cecilia is locked down for the night she takes the pen that she hid runs some water and holds it to her wrist she says out loud you won't get the baby and you won't get me and she drives the pen which is like one of those like fancy fountain pens like the tip looks very knife like And she stabs it into her wrist and drags it down. And Adrian is in the room and stops her and tries to grapple with him. She stabs him and that causes his suit to glitch where he is going in and out of sight. A police officer hears the commotion, opens the door and sees Adrian in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) Just this guy in a suit. Yeah. And he's like, what the fuck? And Adrian overpowers him, makes him tase himself. This allows Cecilia to run out of the room as more cops chase her. Adrian's suit continues to glitch and it's just this big action sequence of him subduing all of these cops. And I said, like, I love the camera work in this scene because it's following Adrian's perspective. So when he slams somebody down, the camera's going sideways. And it's very much like another film that Lee Whannell did, Upgrade. He does a lot of cool stuff with the camera movements during fight scenes in that. And it's, oh God, it's just, it's some good shit, everybody. It's some good (laughs) shit. Cecilia chases Adrian out of the hallway with a gun that she gets from one of the fallen police officers. She looks fucking nuts because she's just like running in this gown. Yeah. And With. it's raining. And it's raining. She's and she- soggy. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's damp. It never makes you look
0: in control if you're soggy. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. She gets outside and she's like in this very rainy parking lot carrying a gun in this gown and she's looking for Adrian and hiding from the cops that are chasing her until Adrian backs her into a car. He says, if you fight me, I won't ever hurt you, but I will find someone you love and hurt them instead. Now you've only got yourself to blame for that innocent girl's death. <sighs> And of course, he is talking about hurting Sydney.
0: Yes. So again, another officer is on the scene. He tries to stop Cecilia, but he's shot. Adrian is on the move again. Cecilia pursues. And as Adrian gets in a car and drives away, he hits, I guess, a random bystander, wrong place, wrong time. And then Cecilia takes his car, the person who was hit, and kind of stumbles out. He's totally fine, but confused. She gets in his car and drives away. She calls James and tells him that he has to go to Sydney right away. Because of course she's following Adrian, but James has got to go there too. She needs everyone there that can possibly help the situation. So back at the house, Adrian has entered. We are following his path via camera angle and Sydney awakes. She senses someone in the room. She hears a noise. And I love this because she grabs the pepper spray that she had grabbed previously in another scene that didn't really end up coming into play at all. But despite not seeing anything, she sprays the pepper spray. Like, that tells me that there is some part of her that believes Cecilia. Mm -hmm. She sprays it. Of course, we hear Adrian start coughing. She screams because she knows that someone is in the room with her. And she goes to run out of her bedroom. But she is caught by Adrian and she is beat up. It's awful. Then James gets home. So he tries to help his daughter, but he ends up getting the shit beat out of him as Sydney watches, which is even more horrible because he really gets the worst of it. But then Cecilia shows up. At this point, James is already knocked out on the ground. She tells Sydney to get down and she sprays the fire extinguisher, which I love that that comes back. She sprays the area where the being is. He's outlined now in this fire extinguisher foam, and then she takes the gun that she had brought with her from the hospital and shoots him a bunch of times. And he's dead. He's got to be dead. Except it's not Adrian. It's fucking Tom.
1: I was upset about this. Well, first off, like, I kind of was catching on because I wrote down, okay, is Adrian's suit magically no longer glitching while he was in the house because he was hidden the entire time? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, okay. But also, like, narratively, the way that James was getting beat the fuck up would make sense if it was Adrian. Mm. Because he's this man who's taking Cecilia under his wing and protecting him from his woman. And granted, James and Cecilia have never had evidence of a romantic relationship, Mm -hmm. but it's this idea that... Again, Thomas is jellyfish and he's doing Adrian's betting. And we got that context in a couple points throughout the film where Tom was like, Adrian manipulated me too. And Adrian abused me too. And I was just as much a victim almost in a different way. Like I grew up with him. But we're not seeing him change his behavior, but he's so willing to nearly fucking kill this guy. Like, James had beat the fuck up pretty badly. And again, it would make sense if it was Adrian, but the fact that it's Tom is so, like, dissatisfying, and I think that's the point. Right, yes.
0: But also, it does make sense, you know, if Adrian had just come from this really arduous fight against 10 police officers would he at that time have had the energy to even beat up James that much, even with the motivation that he would have. But also like, I get the sense that Tom's his own type of unhinged because then it also begs the question, like how involved was he? It's kind of like the first Scream movie. Like, you want to go back and figure out, okay, well, like, who was in the mask here and who was in the mask here? But like, you don't know because the whole time they were invisible and you don't see Adrian until like the scene that's coming up next. Mm -hmm. I mean, you saw him in the beginning, but it was so dark. It was so fast. You never really saw him. Like, the first time you were able to perceive him is in the scene coming up and you don't even have the tools to go back and begin to try to figure out if it was always Adrian or like if there were more times that it was Tom or like, did Tom
1: ever, I don't know. So the SWAT team enters Adrian's house only to find him tied up in his own basement.
0: Yeah. What the fuck?
1: (laughs) Okay. So then we get a scene at the police station where James is explaining to Cecilia that it was always all Tom and we don't really get motivation. Cecilia rebuffs him and is like, no, it was Adrian. Like he's just setting Tom up. He let Tom take the fall for this. Adrian did this to me. This is what he does. He makes me feel like the crazy one and he's doing it again.
0: I love this. She is not about to fall for this epic gaslighting stunt. She won't do it. She has come too far.
1: Where James is thinking more logistically, he's like, yeah, but can you just accept the story (laughs) so that you don't go down for like fleeing custody with a gun? (laughs) Like he's trying to be a good friend. Like, like, Okay, okay, okay. It was Adrian. But can you just
0: (laughs) say? (laughs) Yes. So then that night we have another shot. Cecilia is again back at James and Sydney's house, and she's sleeping next to Sydney, still needing that presence. And she gets up out of bed, dials Adrian's phone, and he picks up and says, I'm so glad you called. So at this point, we're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what's gonna happen?
1: Cecilia returns to Adrian's house. She's looking all dolled up in a yeah, dress. She looks good. She's got red lipstick on, mm-hmm. black dress, very much a power look. Yes. Where Adrian almost looks very sheepish, like he's smiling, he's complimenting her, he almost seems nervous. This is also where I wrote, how are we explaining the faking death thing, being rich, question mark? Because he was on the national news, like reported as
0: dead. We're supposed to think that Tom somehow faked his death, but you're right, because there were pictures of his dead body.
1: Yeah, and you could stage that, but that still doesn't surpass the fact that they need a body somewhere, no?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Definitely a plot hole.
1: Adrian gives a canned speech where he never apologizes. He just says, listen, I learned my lesson. I want to be good for you and this baby. I know our relationship wasn't always perfect, but I want to do right by you. Never apologizes, never takes accountability. It's a a very canned speech of just, we can do this together. Like as if she's just going to come running back to him. But Cecilia just wants him to admit what he did.
0: Yeah. She's like, it just needs to start with honesty. So go ahead and admit what you did. He denies. And in this conversation, oop, we actually see that James is outside in the car listening. So this is more of a sting operation. So she keeps trying to press him for a confession. He keeps denying. He tells her that he knows her better than anyone else and that it shouldn't come as a surprise. (sighs) So she's tearing up and she's like, excuse me, I just need to go clean myself up. So she goes into the bathroom and we see her compose herself back outside in the dining room. Adrian's still sitting there chilling. And then all of a sudden, we see a floating knife enter Adrian's hand and guide his hand across his throat, still letting it. He collapses to the floor. And like right away, I'd be mean, like, you know what's going on. <laughs> like, you know what's going on. So it looks like he killed himself. A minute or two later, C emerges from the bathroom. She's like, oh no, <laughs> dials 911. She's playing the role pretty well. But as soon as she hangs up the phone, the act is dropped. She looks at Adrian and says, surprise. <laughs> Meanwhile, James, of course, hears the 911 call through the radio, right? Because you know he's in a police car or I guess maybe like, a, like an unmarked vehicle. So he can hear the radio. So he's scared. He runs in to meet C as she's leaving with Zeus, (laughs) which I love, and then a bag with the suit inside. She tells him, you know, he just killed himself. I didn't realize he was so unstable. And James is like, yeah, he killed himself. And they kind of have this like nonverbal, yes, this is the story. This is what we're doing. And then cue this gorgeous dramatic instrumental as the movie ends.
1: Yes, she feels very satisfied with herself. The movie ends happily. She got her revenge. She got her gotcha moment. And yeah, I think we're all very happy for it.
0: Yes. The thing that is crazy about this movie is, like, you never actually see Adrian do anything, Mm -hmm. which is so different from any other movie with a villain that we've seen. And you're kind of left, at least I was kind of left, like, what are we going to see at this point? Like, is there going to be anything else developed more with Tom? Like, what is going on? So when she kills him, you're like, oh my god. But the moment he gives her that line, like, it shouldn't come as a surprise, I feel like you know, like that she is right, and
1: that this whole time she's been right. We have some things to talk about. Obviously, there's a lot of themes in this movie that have to do with like abuse, gaslighting, things of that nature. Some quick things before we get to that. Some trivia, of course, coming from our favorite IMDb. So Cecilia's name is derived from the Latin term "ceius," which means blind or eyeless. Appropriately, she cannot see the invisible man. She's frequently called C in the film, which is pronounced like C, as in you can see. That's so crazy. there's that. Whereas Adrian's name comes from the Latin word adru, which means sea or water. You can see through water or ator, which means black or dark, referring to his motives also associated with death. So very intentional there on the visual effects. This also comes from IMDb trivia. We talked a lot about, like, the empty shots, and this is just talking about some of the more practical effects that were used to pull off some of the visuals in the movie. One way they made the Invisible Man seem so real without using any virtual effects was through frequent calculated panning shots. In most films, the camera pans to a specific character or object to focus the audience's attention – The other key thing to making the cinematography scary was to use negative space. They filmed lots of empty spaces where the character might be, even though you can't actually see him, and the audience is never quite sure. Much of this was accomplished through unusual framing, leaving extra space around or behind Cecilia. The viewer assumes he's standing in the corner or sitting on the chair, which makes the audience uneasy. For example, in the interrogation scene, the corner of the room is bare and in frame, so Cecilia and the audience assume he's standing there in the shot, listening to everything. One of the kitchen scenes is a wide still shot. It lingers there for a long time after Cecilia leaves the frame. This was intended to be a moment for the audience to frantically search for an image or any signs of him. Winnell, the director, says he wanted you to be afraid that you would miss something. He confirmed that the Invisible Man is in most of these shots, but only he knows which ones. Oh my gosh! That's so scary! And I remember reading in an interview with Elizabeth Moss that for a lot of the time, Adrian's actor was actually on set because she wanted him standing on the other side of the camera so that she could work off of him, especially the coffee ground scene, for example, mm-hmm. they would work together and he would be standing there. But obviously like the way that the shots made it, like he never was actually visually there because you had even said like, we don't barely even see him in the movie, yeah. but he w- was on set for a lot longer than, uh-huh. you know, that like one That's house scene. Yeah. I imagine that would be
0: helpful, like for her to know where to focus her eyes and be consistent. And Yeah. Wow.
1: Okay, so just on the idea of abuse in this movie, generally, this comes from the article The Invisible Man Haunts Us in the Way Abusers Always Have by Joshua Rivera- He writes, The horror of the invisible man comes from the knowledge that not only would Griffin's schemes work should the technology exist, but also from knowing that they already do. The sanity and stability of women are routinely questioned and undermined. The machinations of men who abuse them routinely ignored by other men or worse, facilitated by them. Men do not need to vanish from literal sight in order to perpetuate this form of gendered evil. They just need a different kind of visibility, the absence of scrutiny. As far as they're concerned, a man you aren't looking at might as well be an invisible one. This is another truth about how men like this win for so long. They did not become invisible solely by means of their own. They were aided and abetted by others, the men and women who helped, stayed silent, or looked the other way. Wow. In the Invisible Man, Cecilia is not the only person who is haunted by Adrian Griffin. After Griffin fakes his death, Cecilia is approached by his brother Tom, a lawyer and executor of Adrian's will. Tom is the character in the film arguably has the most contempt for, a spineless man who agrees (laughs) to pose the posthumous specter of his abusive brother. He is initially benevolent as he awards Cecilia her windfall. When Cecilia learns that Adrian has become invisible, he is sympathetic, saying that Adrian has abused him too. They were both victims in the thrall of an abusive man valorized by his success in a world that vindicated him. In the film's third act, Tom reveals that he knows his brother is alive and that he is following his instructions. Crucially, the Invisible Man never reveals Tom's level of complicity. The audience never learns if Tom was under duress like he claims or if he is a willing accomplice. We never learn because it does not matter. Adrian wins time after time because he is concealed and he is concealed because he is brilliant and celebrated for it. This gives him the cover and the power to keep people within his group and extend the reach of his abuse.
0: Wow. That is pretty haunting. But you're right. I like that bit about the brother. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how involved he was.
1: Yeah. And especially because he is the one that continues the gaslighting afterwards and continues making Cecilia feel crazy, especially being that he knows the truth of the matter, So this comes from an article, Isolation and Abuse in the Invisible Man by Esmeralda Vogel Downing. And she writes, according to Google Trends, the number of searches for what is gaslighting behavior has recently increased by 400%. Wow. And this was in 2020. Okay. A brief history of the term would nod to the 20th century play and film adaptation of Gaslight, a story by Patrick Hamilton, in which a man attempts to convince his wife that she is going insane. The psychological abuse tricks a person into doubting their sanity through the erasure of truth, and a broader history of the behavior might reference the work of neurologist Jean-Martin Charcot in the Victorian field of hysteria, a female-only illness supposing uterine distress as a cause for insanity and institutionalization. It's no coincidence that today's Me Too movement is dismissed by detractors as mass hysteria or that presidents can discredit critics with references to blood coming out of her whatever. It also doesn't feel like a coincidence when, despite instantly catching onto the Invisible Man's game, Cecilia's journey involves being institutionalized. Figures of authority are predominantly male, and nearly everyone is unwilling to believe the improbable. Adrian's brother, Tom, is in charge of the family's estate and is a master of gaslighting. One minute, he insists that Cecilia is insane for thinking his brother is alive, and the next, he slips her Adrian's disgusting ultimatums. Hmm. He said she said rhetoric compromises this house of horrors. This is a slasher in which the final girl is punished by every measure she takes to survive. Art imitates life.
0: Yes, and like Adrian's line when he tells her, I won't hurt you, but every time you try to escape or get the better of me, I will kill someone that you care for. That is the ultimate punishment. Oh my God, it's sick.
1: And this last quote talks about how Adrian's wealth really plays into the power that he has over Cecilia. So this is also from the isolation and abuse in The Invisible Man, Multiplying H.G. Wells' villain evokes the victim's worst nightmare. For Cecilia, when no singular man is the Invisible Man, any man could be the Invisible Man. Cecilia's flirtatious interviewer, the jogger outside of James's house, the wardens who make no effort to understand her. Even concepts such as omniscience constitute an aggressor. With touches of Bentham and Foucault's panopticon theory, the disservices done to women by the unblinking gaze of a camera is rife thanks to upskirting, revenge porn, and webcam spying, nodded to by Cecilia herself, who paints over hers with nail polish. Even before The Invisible Man arrives, there is a nagging feeling that there might just be some social misallocation of the modern luxury of privacy, and it might have something to do with denying it to disadvantaged and poor while corporately sponsoring it for the rich and privileged. Think tax havens. Think gag orders. When Cecilia attempts to cover her stalker in flour, paint, and blood, she becomes every person who has run the gauntlet of documenting assault. Hmm. She needs perfect timing, sheer dumb luck, and the right people to turn their heads to make her upward blows stick. Even as she gets her revenge and freedom in one fell swoop, the inextricable space between visible and invisible, private and public, and connectedness and isolation has never been smaller or more complex. All these facets play tricks of the gaslighting through each other.
0: I love that bit about having more than one invisible man really does kind of break down that barrier. It could be
1: anyone. And I feel like it's talking about how insurmountable it does feel to document this abuse, even when, yeah, the guy isn't invisible. She has everything working against her being mm-hmm. like, not only did he fake his own death, he is an optics expert and he is wearing an invisible cloak suit Yes, <laughs> via Harry Potter style. Yeah. And he is making it seem like I'm hurting everybody and I'm not. But that's probably how it feels to folks who are trying to navigate this system, especially folks that can't afford anything beyond a public defender or mm-hmm. do not have the type of network like James and Sydney and her sister, which I mean, he still tries to chop down at the fucking bits. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously very gratifying the way that it ends, but is it the most realistic ending where she just gets to like walk away with no consequences? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at other examples of, you know, using the allegory of speaking up about sexual assault or abuse against men who have power connection, money, or even just the advantage of gender, then this gratifying ending is not realistic. Because according to this article, that happens so few of the time. It's throwing paint on something and hoping that it illuminates enough of the figure for people to see you know, what another person has been experiencing. Like that's, I think a really haunting bit, but it is nice. I think, especially with James's character, like, even though he does deny Cecilia's story, he seems, he almost seems like he shows promise for maybe like where we can go. He does have his mind changed. He does seem that he's trying to look out for Cecilia. He shows regret for leaving her. He should have stayed. And it's like, maybe he can be like a character that's like a little glimmer of hope into people who will be more willing to believe, you know, women, especially in the future who speak up about these traumas and these things that they're experiencing. Like, maybe that's our little glimmer.
1: And I do appreciate that we never see him joining a boys club or commiserating with Tom or Adrian. Mm -hmm. Like, he never tries to be like, well, maybe, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Even when he's in the room with Tom and Tom's looking at him like she's going nuts James is like she wouldn't be here if she didn't have a valid concern so you're going to hear her out and then the second she starts talking about invisible suits he's like like, but he keeps that shit to himself he's like no no like I'll support you and I'm gonna be here with you and I'm not gonna like just take the guy's side Mm -hmm. because that's what society tells me to do is just to like bro up Especially, I mean, I feel like this could have been explored more, like James is a cop and that is a profession that is not only notorious for them being there for each other to keep stories straight to a detrimental fault, Mm -hmm. but is also the highest profession of domestic abusers. Yeah. Like, we could have done something
0: about that. Yeah. I mean, but he's also a father.
1: Yeah. To a young woman. A single
0: father. A single father, yeah. So maybe his experience, you know, being Mr. Mom, right? Or, like, being so close with his daughter... I don't know. Maybe that helped inform him enough that this event comes along and maybe he's not so quick to deny. Deny. I don't know. But I did, even though, you know, his character didn't always believe her, I did like that his character never. I don't know. It didn't feel like he was a villain. And it felt like he was trying his best with the information that he had. And I appreciated that, especially dealing with like the worst of the worst, like Adrian and little weasel Tom. Like it was nice to have a man in the movie who seemed like he was at least trying. So that was the Invisible Man. Yeah. Any final thoughts?
1: It's just good. I feel (laughs) like it's one of the few like Obviously, like, I don't think this one has had many stops on the remake train. I think people can have a lot of different, like, remakes of movies and people can contest. And obviously, like, if you're comparing this to the one in 1933, they're so different that it's almost incomparable. But I think it came at a very good time. I really like Lee Whannell. I really like Elizabeth Moss as an actress. Was it perfect? No, but I think it did really well and just exploring some of these themes, but still being thrilling. Like, that paint drop scene still will fucking get me. (gasps) It's beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. I just, I love the atmosphere it creates. Definitely worth the watch.
0: I agree. I really enjoyed it. And again, gives you much to think about, which is always good. And speaking of remakes, next week... (laughs) We are going to be focusing on two films from the Body Snatchers franchise. And both are remakes. Both are remakes. We'll be focusing on two versions, not the 1950s version of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but the remake, the 1978 version of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then the 1993 version just called Body Snatchers.
1: Yeah. And this is very similar to the faculty, not necessarily in like self-referential, but just in terms of the concept, the idea that there are others and that there are copies and that they are not themselves. <laughs> and they really reference that in the faculty a lot. Like, what is this vision of the body snatcher shit? So if you liked the idea of the faculty's space slugs, then I think you'll <laughs> like this.
0: And if you're interested in keeping up to date with us and what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Podcast. And if you'd like to reach out to us, give a recommendation, you can also email us at
1: thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.